a dramatized reading of John 18, verse 28 to 19, 16. The Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What are the charges you are bringing against this man? If he were not criminal, we would not hand it over to you. What do you say to him? Are you charge him with your own laws? But, but we don't have a right to execute anyone. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus. Be the king of Jews. Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Your people and your chief priests have brought you to me. What is it you have done? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then. You say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis of a charge against this man. But... It is your custom that on the Passover I release a man to you. Uh, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Look, I'm bringing him out to you to show you that I find no basis of a charge against this man. Here is a man crucified. Crucified! You take him! You crucify him! As for me, I find no basis of a charge against him. We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Who are you? Where have you come from? You don't even speak to me. Don't you know that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a great sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, You let this man go. You are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king poses Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, 
which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king. Take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. You want me to crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. But what is truth? That's the, uh, the question that Pilate, the Roman governor, asked Jesus in the passage we're looking at this morning. And I would agree with those who say that is the most single important question that uh, any human being can ask. When people on the street were asked a question on a video on YouTube, unfortunately the quality wasn't good enough to show, but um, they were asked the question, is there such a thing as truth? And all of them, some hesitated for a little while, but all of them said, yes, I believe there is. And instinctively, I think we know that, don't we? You know, the families of those who died this week in that tragic plane crash want to know the truth, what actually happened. But when the same people on the street were asked the question, how do you know what truth is? Or what is the source of truth? Then for many of them there was a big pause, uh, they had to think about it, and the, the, the answers were very different. Some said, well, through logical, rational thought, from, from the heart, trust and faith. Some said knowledge and experience. Others said, well, it's just different for, for everyone. Some said it's what you can see. There were a couple of Christians who were asked as well in the interview, and uh, they didn't hesitate. They simply said, well, we know the truth. It comes from God. It comes from his word. We live in a, a pluralist society, which says that all truth claims are equally valid. Uh, what's true for one person may not be true for another. But when people say that, they're often confusing matters of truth with matters of taste. Or they're confusing the idea of everyone having equal value with every claim to the truth being equally valid. In other words, all people may be equal, but not all beliefs are equal. For example, if you were to speak to somebody who said they believe that the earth is flat, you would still value them as a person, but you might not value their belief so much. We all have to make judgments every day about the truth, don't we? We, we hear news reports, we uh, read um, columns in newspapers, we, we hear gossip about people. And we have to work out what is the truth in all that. But the biggest question we have to ask ourselves is, was Jesus telling the truth? And what is his truth that he was talking about? In the account of his trial that took place 2,000 years ago, he is reported as saying this, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And the reason this is so important is that it affects not just our life in this world, it affects the whole of eternity. It's Palm Sunday today that we're celebrating when Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey. But the events we're focusing on this morning in this passage take place a week later, where Jesus is standing trial for claiming to be a king. So what do we make of his claim? 
Well, let's just look again at the, the context of this passage, which was so um, well uh, illustrated to us by the, the team, the dramatic team. Thanks, guys, for, for doing that. Have a look back at um, the immediately preceding passage in uh, verses um, 19 to 27 that we looked at last week. Here we see that Jesus is being unfairly tried by Annas. And at the end of that passage, he was sent in verse 20, um, 28 to, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 24, sorry. Now, the account in John's Gospel doesn't include the trial by Caiaphas, which we read about in Matthew's Gospel, but it goes straight to the trial by Pilate. And that's where we start in verse 28. It's early morning. Jewish leaders have uh, taken Jesus to, to Pilate's palace. And then we have another lovely touch of irony again, don't we, in verse um, uh, 28 there, the second part. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they didn't enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. They wanted to be clean in God's sight, and therefore they made sure they didn't enter the governor's palace, and yet they're trying to murder God's son. How is that going to make them appear in God's sight? Well, Pilate um, is very accommodating of their religious beliefs. He comes out to meet them. And he asks them, what charges are you bringing against this man? And the somewhat strange and disrespectful replies, well, if he were not a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. To which Pilate says, well, take him yourselves. Judge him by your own laws. But they say, we have no right to execute Anyone. Capital punishment was a, a prerogative of the Romans, so they had to take him to the Romans. <coughs> and then that's just a little aside there, where it says in verse 32, this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Many times Jesus had predicted his own death and the type of death he was going to suffer. He was going to be crucified. And so there's a little comment there is saying, well, in case you're worried about what is going to happen, it's all under control. This is all part of God's plan. This is what Jesus came to do. And then we have the rest of the passage. There's a great drama where Pilate goes in to question Jesus. He comes out to the Jews and says he's innocent. He goes back in. He comes out. He's back in. He comes out again. Three times he goes in. He establishes that Jesus is innocent. Three times the Jews say, we don't care, crucify him, kill him. And eventually they get their own way. Now we're not quite sure exactly what is going on inside Pilate's head through all this, but we did pick up a few clues along the way because the conversations between him and Jesus are actually quite revealing. Let's have a look at them now. What Pilate is trying to find out, the first question is basically, who is Jesus? Who is this man who stands before him on trial? Who is he? Well, the charge the uh, Jews have made against him, that is, he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Their real claim, as we'll see later on, is that he's claimed to be the son of God. But if they just said that, Pilate would probably have dismissed it and said, well, deal with it under your own laws. But by making it sound like he's some sort of uh, Osama bin Laden-type character, he's a, a potential revolutionary against uh, Roman rule, and um, they've got a greater chance of their case being held and heard by Pilate. So Pilate asks him directly, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' response is interesting, isn't it? Um, look at verse 34. 
Because in the same way he appeared before Annas, he was totally unfazed. He's not phased here at all, appearing before Pilate, the Roman governor. And he says quite calmly, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? In other words, what do you really think? Pilate replies, am I a Jew? It was your own people who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? And then Jesus actually answers his original question. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate says. And he says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So the first thing Jesus is saying is that his kingdom is not of this world. It's not a physical kingdom. It's not a geographical kingdom. He doesn't have a group of followers who are going to rise up against Roman rule. He's not like a Barabbas who, we're told, had taken part in an uprising. So what is this kingdom and what is he king of? Well, he's king of a group of people who do not belong to a specific time in history, who don't who don't live in a specific place, but are from all nations and all times. People who have submitted to Jesus as their king. Jesus' kingdom started in Israel. He he proclaimed the kingdom of God to the Jews. But then it spread to all nations, just as God had promised to, to Abraham many hundreds of years before. It's a spiritual kingdom. And if we are Christians here this morning, we are part of his kingdom. It is a heavenly kingdom. Jesus is a heavenly king. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, but he came into this world. He came into this world to testify to the truth. The truth about God, about salvation, about eternity. The truth about his kingdom. And his followers are those who listen to the truth and believe it. Now, Pilate's answer, what is truth, is an interesting one, isn't it? Which we'll come back to. What is he actually getting at there? Is it a serious question? Is it a mocking question? Whatever he was thinking, he seems to to believe Jesus, doesn't he? Because he goes out to the Jews and says, I find no basis for a charge against him. He's innocent. Now, of course, Pilate is a bit of a politician. A He's probably not sure about this king business, but he doesn't see Jesus as a potential revolutionary, so he just wants to to get rid of him, move on. And so without simply releasing him as innocent, he reminds the Jews, well, a prisoner can be released at the time of Passover. Would you like me to release him to you? That would make Jesus appear guilty, but um, uh, get him off his hands. Now, unfortunately, that backfires because uh, the Jews don't want Jesus to be released. They would rather have Barabbas released. So what's Pilate going to do now? Well, into chapter 19, he takes Jesus and he has him flogged, even though he finds no charge against him. Soldiers doing the flogging probably have no time for a a Jewish um, criminal, somebody who claims to to be a king, probably just see it as a bit of a game. And so if this man claims to be a king, then let's um, dress him up like a king. Let's have a bit of fun with him. Not only do they flog him, they twist together a crown of thorns and put it 
on his head. And this is not just the sort of thorns that might scratch your head when you're fighting the hedge in your back garden. These are serious thorns that are going to dig into your skull. And then it says, they clothed him in a purple robe. They went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and slapped him in the face. They're mocking his claim to be king. Now, it seems like Pilate here is trying to appease the Jews by making Jesus suffer. So they wouldn't feel they have to go through the whole execution thing. And and Pilate can feel a little bit appeased that um, uh, he's uh, allowed him to, to remain alive. And so he pulls Jesus out, a sorry-looking figure by this stage, and says, here is the man. Here is the man. And again, we have the irony here, because Pilate is saying, look, he's just a man. He's not a king. He's just a man. But actually, to his followers, it is a great reassurance that Jesus is not just God. He is also man. Jesus is not just about to be executed. He's about to be sacrificed. He's willing to die on behalf of the whole of humankind. Instead of all of us taking the punishment for our sins... He's stepping in for us. He's going to be our substitute. And for that substitute to be valid, if he's going to represent the whole of humankind, he has to be a real human. But just as the lambs that were sacrificed had to be free of blemish, Jesus had to be perfect. He had to be sinless. He had to be innocent. And that is why Pilate's repetition of Jesus' innocence three times just makes that so clear. Well, if Pilate thinks flogging is going to do the trick, he's mistaken, because the, the chief priests' officials are determined. Crucify, crucify, they shout. And once more, Pilate says, well, you take him and crucify him. I find no basis for a charge against him. And now the Jewish leaders come clear with their real concern. We have a law, and according to that law, <clears throat> he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. His real climb is blasphemy. They don't consider him to be an innocent man because he has claimed to be God. In their eyes, he cannot be both. And at this time, it's interesting, isn't it? At this time, it says now, when Pilate heard this, verse 8 of chapter 19, he was even more afraid. Maybe he sees something different in Jesus. He said his kingdom is not of this world. He's claimed to be the son of God. Who is he actually dealing with here? This is not a simple criminal he can just get rid of like a Barabbas. And so he asks him, where do you come from? But Jesus remains silent. As the prophecy in Isaiah said, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Of course, that winds Pilate up. He says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? And at that point, Jesus says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. In other words, the only reason you are standing in the position you are in is because my Father has allowed it. He's even ordained it. I talked last week about leaders who try and cling on to power. Often they've um, become convinced they have a right to be in power. Maybe they've just achieved it through their, their own successes. doesn't mean we shouldn't 
take an interest in politics and uh, use our vote in the general election coming up, and we'll talk about that in, in weeks to come. But Jesus continues, The one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Referring to Caiaphas, the representative of the Jewish nation, the one who claims to be a leader of God's people, a teacher of God's word, the one who's failed to see the fulfillment of the prophecy of a Messiah right in front of his eyes. And we're now told, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Trouble is, the Jewish leaders have outsmarted him once again. They come up with a final coup de grace. If you let this man go, they say, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. They know exactly where Pilate is weak. If he gets back to Rome that he's allowed a rebel to go free, um, he risks losing his job, he possibly risks losing his life. And when we heard this, we're told he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat. The trial is effectively over. Here is your king. Take him away. Crucify him, they shout. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. In Matthew's gospel, we're told he washes his hands, but he can't escape his guilt that easily. When the process of the trial, what has been revealed is who is Jesus. It's also been revealed why he came. Why did he come? The key claim in this passage, which is the climax of all his teaching that we've read about in, in, in the Gospel of John, is this. The reason I was born, the reason I came into the world, is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Truth is a theme that comes up time and time again in the, uh, in, uh, the Gospel of John. It came up in many of the I Am sayings that we've been looking at over the last couple of months. Uh, you may recall Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He also said, I'm the true bread of heaven. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. To the woman of the well, he said, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He said to the Jews who had believed him in chapter 8, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in John 16, he said, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The truth that he's getting at in these statements is the true meaning of life. It's the meaning of life that is real, that is complete, as opposed to other understandings which are are false or incomplete. The meaning of life is about how we can have a real relationship with God. And so Jesus is not just describing the meaning of truth, he's describing the source of truth, that is God himself. Why is truth important? Because if we get truth wrong, there are consequences, aren't there, when we get things wrong? If we put the wrong... Uh, destination into our sat-nav, we will end up in the, the wrong place. If we invest in something which is a fraud, we will end up losing our money. On a more serious note, if a doctor gives a patient the wrong medication, they may end up dying. As Ravi Zechariah says, the fact is the truth matters. 
especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie. In some cases, the consequences are not so serious, but when we're talking about eternity, it is serious. So the big question for us here this morning is, how can we find the truth? And the answer is by listening to Jesus and trusting him. Read that verse again. I've read it a couple of times already this morning, but it's the most important verse here. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The problem with the Jewish leaders is they are not listening to Jesus. This has got right in front of their eyes. He's teaching them the scriptures. He's, He's doing miracles right in front of them. He's revealing the truth but they don't want to hear it. They're comfortable with their idea of how they can be right with God, and that involves ceremony, it involves tradition, it involves keeping a set of rules. It involves outward behavior rather than the true change in the heart of repentance and humility. They may not be enslaved to outward sin, but they are enslaved to self-righteousness. And Jesus has come to set them free but they don't want that sort of freedom. They don't have a true relationship with God. They're serving their own interests. And that has been clear throughout the proceedings, which have been full of deceit and lies in the trial of Jesus. And it becomes fully clear at the end of this passage when they say, we have no king but Caesar. Now that is an amazing statement for them to make. Caesar was not just a a ruler, he was a, a god to the Romans. I don't think they would really worship Caesar, but it just shows the extent they're prepared to go to um, to hold on to their position of power and authority. There's no sense of integrity here, no sense of truth. (coughs) Where might we be in danger of making the same mistake? It's quite simple, when we don't listen to Jesus. We live in a society where we're constantly surrounded by other voices trying to drown Jesus out. They're telling us things like, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. That is all that counts. They're telling us, be your own king. Make up your own rules. And all sorts of other untruths. And with all that noise going on, we have to work hard at listening to Jesus. If you're a Christian here this morning, you know that it's a good thing to to read the Bible, to to pray, to come to church. But the important thing about all those things is the motivation for it. It's not something we do so we can tick off that on our to-do list and feel good about ourselves. I've done my 10-minute study this morning. I can get on to what I really want to do. We do those things to listen to Jesus. And we need to keep doing them until we've heard from him. We've talked about the Jewish leaders and how they suppress the truth. But what about Pilate here before we finish? I must admit, I do feel some sort of sympathy for Pilate. You know, he does appear to be asking genuine questions. He's, <clears throat> he's listening to Jesus. He does appear to have accepted that there is some truth in what Jesus is saying. You know, when Jesus said, you would have no power over me if we were not given to you from above, you expect a sort of reaction, a slap in the face or something. You know, who dare you say that to me? But instead it says, from then on, 
Pilate tried to set Jesus free. He sees he's innocent. But the trouble is he's presented with a clear choice. The Jews say to him, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. He's faced with a choice. Who is he going to back, Caesar or Jesus? If we accept the truth, we have to act on it. You can't sit on the fence like Pilate was trying to do. He seemed to see some truth in what Jesus was saying, but lacked the courage to act on it, to stand up for the truth. He'd asked the right question, what is truth? He'd received the right answer from the person with the authority to give that to him. But he ended up committing the greatest crime. He was so close, and yet so far. So what about you? Do you accept the truth that Jesus proclaimed? Do you accept that he is the true king? If so, will you commit your life to him? Will you commit to listening to him? Will you commit to serving him? And enjoying the true meaning of life, enjoying that relationship with God that he brings us? Or will you go the same way as Pilate, who was so close and yet so far? Next Sunday evening, there's an opportunity to, to be baptized. Maybe God is saying to you, now, now is the time for you to make that commitment to come off the fence to follow Jesus as your saviour and your king. If that is you, if you're prepared to make that decision, then come and speak to Mark and myself afterwards. Don't leave here without making the biggest decision you can make in your life.